Hello, listeners. I have to preempt today's episode with this little announcement. Um, Due to a miscommunication, we discussed Matthew Perini's short story, Martha's Rule, without knowing that had been published by Somerset Review. But we had such a great time discussing the piece, and we think the conversation still has value. With the permission of the author and the review, we are sharing that conversation with you. trying to think of different ways to say this. Uh, what the Pain and Bread Quarterly Slush Pile is about is um, letting you in on our editorial process. So uh, there's a core four who's usually always here and then a rotating group. And we read work that has been um, submitted to us after we get the author's second level of permission. And um and discuss it and decide, and none of us know what the outcome will be um, until we do the voting. So you don't either. Um, we put the work up online so you can go ahead and read along or read before, pause us and go read it or come back again. Um, so that's what we do. And the we today is me, Kathleen Volkmiller. I um, teach here at Drexel University and run the graduate program in publishing and write essays and uh, pop culture pieces. And I, um, what else do I do? Well, I edit the Pain and Break Quarterly. Um, we're hoping that Marion can chime in from Abu Dhabi. When she does, we'll probably hear a little ding dong as you do. And, um, and uh, uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But in the room with me today is Tim Fitz. I am Tim Fitz, and I'm a fiction writer. I teach the freshman writing here at Drexel and creative writing and other liberal arts, liberal arts courses at Curtis Institute of Music. I write short stories and novels, and I feel like I should mention right now that I'm drinking one of the top three cups of coffee I've ever had from the food truck in the past five years. Yeah? At Drexel. No. Yeah, this, this cup is... Is it, this, is it the same one that sells the mango slices? Yeah, and it's... Oh, that's it, my favorite coffee, too. It's my fifth cup of coffee today, and usually <laughs> at this point, it doesn't taste so good. Wow. So it's it's, it's, it's um, gone beyond those barriers. I really didn't realize you consume that much coffee. I, I don't after two in the afternoon. Wow. Just after the day. Oh, wow, that is a lot. That's a lot of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. All right, if you're sleeping, I know you're a productive guy, so I guess it's working for you. Um, Ms. Cherie, are yeah. you co-op? Hi, um, I'm Cherie DeVos, and I'm the Editorial Assistant in Digital Communications Co-op. Um, I'm a pre-junior here at Drexel, and I do not like coffee. I'm sitting here drinking my apple cider, oh. um, which is keeping me going, So, and that's all I have. Better get you through the day. Uh, also in the room, let's just say hi to Joe Zhang. Hi, Joe. Hi. Hi. I'm, a, Joe. I'm just drinking water. He's drinking water. And, <laughs> and Jason is on the line. Hi, I am in Brooklyn today. I am Jason Schneiderman. I am an associate professor of English at the Borough of Manhattan Community College. And uh, I don't know what else to say. I'm the author of three books of poems and a Longtime editor at TBQ. 
Yeah, like that's not nothing. That's really huge. It's wonderful, wonderful. Um, your books are wonderful. Um, okay, so today we are doing a piece of fiction. We have one piece of fiction. It's by Matthew Perini, and it's called Martha's Rule. And it's about 10, maybe 12 typed pages. So I don't know what the word count is on that. Um, so, of course, we're not going to read it to you. But we'll have it up on our website, and you can go read it there. So um, hit pause, go read it, come back when you can, or let us spoil it for you um, and talk about it first, if that's the kind of person you are. Have I told you guys that one of my brothers reads the last paragraph of the novel before he begins the novel? My mother did that. She read the last page. Oh, Jason, did you yell at her? No, because it was just, it was, it was how she enjoyed things and it yeah. was, was able to place kind of style over substance, I guess. I find it just stunning, stunning. <laughs> I would never want to do it, but he swears that it made him like calmer and made him better able to enjoy the story if he knew what was going to happen instead of like, he felt like he read too glancingly if he didn't know. His whole objective would be like just finding out, you know? If I have to watch a horror movie, I will turn the sound off and fast forward through it uh, and then go back and then watch it. That's a great idea. Yeah. That's a really great idea. I have to. Yeah. No, and yeah. not like all the way through. Like I'll do it in like sort of like 10 minute chunks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. That way you're not completely shocked when it happens. I mean, you probably still jump and squeal, but yeah. it, won't, it won't be quite as bad. But I, I just don't like it. I mean, like, there are people who really enjoy that sensation of jumping and squealing. Like, that kind of yeah. like, is why they're doing it. And for me, I'm like, I don't like that at all. That wasn't what I wanted. Right. Do you like roller coasters? Uh, yes and no. I like the kind that go upside down. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. So, um, listeners, <laughs> please tell us how you feel about roller coasters and scary movies. Um, but for now, we're going to talk about Martha's Rule, which has no roller coasters, uh, but many, many airplanes. And it's a sad story, but I wouldn't call it a scary one. Um, so we always give the premise up. Um, the premise is simply... Um, a super estranged, super tension-filled uh, relationship between a mother and her 21-year-old son. And they are having um, a meal at a restaurant that um, overlooks an airport runway. And that's, that's the story, right? It's really quiet. Um, not a, not a lot of action, not big action at least. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Martha's Rule by Matthew Ferrini. What did you guys think? Or do you have a paragraph that you would like to read? Maybe I'll read the first paragraph. Okay. Martha's Rule and Matthew Ferrini. Start with the clothes. Black sneakers, black jeans, folded, faded badly at the knees and pockets. A black concert shirt. Black, the absence of color. Also absent is posture. Chin pressed to wrist, elbows pressed to table, back slumped into a permanent declaration of indifference. Add to that, add that, add to that headphones. 
three days of scruff, eyes that never looked at you, that rolled on every third word, it seemed, a Mitchell spare parts baseball cap, black like the rest of his outfit, and you'll start to see that the list goes on and on. And that is Martha's son sitting across from her. Right. So there are, there are some things that I find really pleasing about the story and some things that I wish were different about the story. Okay. I, I, when I first read it, I thought it was written by a woman. And that almost never happens when it's written by a man. So I, for, I, I, it was a very convincing mother's voice for me. And I think that that's kind of a hard thing for a lot of fiction writers to, to pull off. Mm -hmm. I, I've had students in creative writing classes who were born female who identify as males who still write with what sounds like a female voice. I know this is a complicated 2017 discussion here, but right. still when it comes to fiction, you put an image in your head, whether you like it or not. And this was consistent with the story, which I thought was a, was a great feat. Right. Um, and I don't interrupt, want to interrupt you, but I, I, I think we should say this. Uh, just like that first line started with start with the close, the next paragraph, the, the third paragraph begins with across from the sun is the mother. So there's kind of this descriptive there's some really lovely descriptive imagery through it, but there's this uh, kind of um, thing like we're watching a film and somebody's somebody's explaining to somebody else who can't see it, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, and I kind of like that. I and and that is super super consistent through the piece. Right. Um, I'm always on the lookout for a point of view guffaw, right? Yeah. And it doesn't happen here. And that that shift in perspective. I mean a glitch. Sorry. Sorry, that, that shift in perspective also sets you up for a later shift in perspective. And so when the story kind of moves again and you're not like, it's a little bit surprising, right? That suddenly like she goes from being, um, what do you call that in uh, fiction? Thir first person, third person close. Right. Right. Or third person interested. Um, and that perspective shifts and all of a sudden it's third person interested from another character and she looks completely different from the outside than the inside. And I, I, so I was, I was really impressed by the way that that opening shift, where you kind of think it's going to be about the sun, but then it's really focused on the mother's experience. And then it shifts again. I, I've never really, I don't think I've seen a story that does that. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was pretty impressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very well crafted. Um, Sheree, some general thoughts? I think you were one of the early readers on this. I think I saw your comments in some little while. I don't remember that, but... Yeah. Um, Just a general impression that yeah. we were giving. Yeah. Um, I think that um, the first paragraph um, in the little second sentence where it says, youth, lazy, unmotivated, wasted on the young, that list can be made to go on and on too. I think this, the very, the introduction really captures the whole piece um, because as you said, it is really, um, it, it, it shows that relationship that a lot of parents and teenagers have with one another, very detached, mm -hmm. um, um, very extrained. Um, so it was, I think it was hard to read 
um, which might sound a little strange, it was a little hard to read because it felt at some point points like it was forced, but it also felt true. Um, like it was true to that relationship that a lot of parents and children experience with one another, especially I think mothers and their children, because mothers naturally have this um, nurturing um, within them and this desire to hold on and to be connected to their children. And when that doesn't work out in reality, it's a really difficult thing mm-hmm. to, to witness, I think. So um, those are just general thoughts on this. Okay. Yeah, not a, not. I think when when mothers have to finally release their children, I can imagine it's a very difficult thing because everything about you tells you to be a parent. And then when the child is beholden to other people, you have to just assume. I mean, so yeah, at some point it has to happen. And, then, and even when things are fine, I think things can be not fine. I, as a 47-year-old, this I, I like this this conflict work for me uh, I, well can I chime in, chime in for a second uh, this relationship I totally hear what Cherie's saying about it epitomizing lots of relationships but I you know as a mother I found it horrifying that you could be this disassociated from your son like for uh, um, re- listeners he is sitting with headphones on across the table from her at a restaurant at his birthday dinner. I mean, that's, that's beyond, beyond, you know, to sit with the headphones in, right? She literally doesn't want to speak to her. So uh, one of the questions I had is like, do we need to know what headed south? Is it just bad mother-son relationship? You know, like Cherie was saying, like just uh, epitomizing, I don't know, the difficult strain. I think it's difficult saying what is a, what is bad motherhood, but I think it's easy to see what's not good motherhood. But she didn't, it doesn't seem like, it seems like this is a code you want to crack earlier than when they're 21. Even simply just saying we don't wear our headphones at the dinner table and making that rule established by age seven. A lot of those rules you just hammer in when they're too young to think it, think it over. Right. Can I read two paragraphs on page nine that I think kind of illuminate what's going on? Oh, yeah, I'd love to hear that. Okay, so this is where they're making the rules, and this is where the title of the story comes from. Right. Um, so the, the, so Martha has said, like, I thought there's a third rule, and the son is saying, like, no, but then he adds a third rule. Um, now about this, yes, I am. Apparently the iron is lost on him, and this is the son speaking. Now about this rule number three, you might call it the golden rule, or even better, let's call it Martha's rule. Really, it should have been the first rule. It's that important. He took a sip of water to add a little bit of mock suspense. Rule number three, Martha's rule, states in no uncertain terms that the two of us, Joey and Martha Lipton, must drink until we are drunk. Piss drunk. So drink up, Martha. Or in your case, freshen up. But if you want to talk, we'll need to get me one too. She knew what Joey was after. He wanted the alcohol to put all their words safely in quotes. Big, wobbly quotation marks. She knew about those and the way they took away the consequences. I'm telling you this, but it doesn't really count. Words, even revelations, rarely mattered. And since we're not fully responsible for our words, let me say this. So, I mean, I think that, like, the history of their really tortured relationship comes through in those paragraphs. And I really respect that the story doesn't use any flashback. It doesn't kind of... um, 
you know, have, have any kind of revelatory incident for like why their relationship is so bad. But I think in those paragraphs, like you get the fact that she's a pretty awful mother. <laughs> oh, well, you know what's funny? Again, maybe it really is a mom. First of all, I had that question uh, rhetorically. I don't need to, I agree with you wholeheartedly that I didn't need flashbacks. And, and, and that Joey's position is that she drinks too much, right? Mm-hmm. But something in me still needs some sort of um, uh, logos or, you know, supporting factor. I, I, I could still maybe question whether this is Joey. Joey's a, Joey's a curse word that I don't want to say on the recording. He's a terrible son. He's a terrible son. All the weight on I don't know if, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I want to believe him. That's only Joey yelling at her. And Joey is, a, is the D word. Yeah, <laughs> and I, you know what I mean. Like, I kind Joey's of. just yelling. It doesn't necessarily mean that Martha's been, uh, you know, on the bottle and under the bed for but ten years. I wonder if a lot of this is in her head, and all she has to do is just relax for a conversation. And he's yeah. not as mean as he's not saying you're an alcoholic. Da da da. He's saying, um, let's just drink. Let's just drink and talk and act like we're normal people. I like that I can see my point of view, and I think Jason's makes total sense as well. Um, but I, yeah, it is the reason that we're. It, it is the reason we are being given for why he doesn't want to hang out with her. You know, he's implying that she drinks, that she gets pissed drunk all the time. But I'm considering my source. I don't know if I 100% believe him. Yeah, I don't believe him. <laughs> you don't believe him? No, I think they just want, I think he wants a normal conversation that he's like he's having with other people he connects to. And this is just, it's sort of like, you know, like the, this is the first time a lot where people have a couple more drinks than they normally do with their parents. And you kind of are on, yeah, they trust you enough to have some drinks around them. And you kind of laugh at all the goofy stuff that happened. Yeah, it's a different level of the relationship. The relationship takes a different... Yeah. And, and he wants that as he's about to get married. Right. And she's just hypercritical over everything she's done. It's probably her worst enemy. Yeah. The, the problem for me is that's it. And that's not enough for me. I want... The, I want I, I'm, I'm still left kind of hungry at the end of the story. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. I mean, there's something about this quietness that I love and, and I love that we're talking about it. You know, um, the fact that he is only just turning 21 and he is about to get married and won't talk to mom about it. Like, what all does that say? Like, that's an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. Just that part alone. Right. That, you know, you would think this guy wouldn't really want to be partnered up for a while if he already had this mom that I don't know, there's something about her even though she's drinking like you were talking or she's a drinker let's go with the fact she's an alcoholic right she's been a hot mess but doesn't her nervousness about trying to get him to talk to her like doesn't that give you some empathy for her yeah. sympathy at least yeah. right I think like her behavior is justified I mean I'm not saying like I don't know a lot like her alcoholic history or history of alcoholism um, but like 
when it comes to her trying to pull at him, it seems justified to me because you have this kid sitting at the table. And like Tim was saying, like, I feel like some of it is her. Like, you know, you're sitting at the table with headphones in. Um, you're a mother. Like, I think that you would have some control over that before he got to the age of 21. But um, <laughs> yeah. looking at his behavior, I can't help but feel, you know, sympathetic because she's trying to reach out to him, trying to be a mother in the sense that he's moving on in life, but can't even do that in this instance. So maybe she is um, overreacting, but maybe she isn't. So I don't, I don't, I think it is definitely hard to talk about because we don't have any, we don't really have any past in this. All we have is is what's in the story right now, but um, I don't, I don't know. It's just it, it's really hard for me. To, like I don't know. It's really hard for me to talk about this for some reason. I think it's interesting. This is, story kind of comments on the type of parenting when people think your kids are a hundred percent good, and so they you don't have to criticize them at all. Then you never learn how to talk to them, and then they're twenty one wearing headphones at the table. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to say, "Take off the damn headphones." Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Say, don't chew gum at the table. Don't do, just certain things that you do just so there's some order. Um, instead of saying anything goes, everybody's great when everybody's not great, and that's impossible for everyone to be great all the time. Yeah. Um. And. and and the kids want some rules, you know, kids, kids like order, kids like there to be boundaries and they work well within the boundaries. So do adults. So he's looking at her saying, you've never been a mother and that's it. But they can, I, I do think he is okay with them having some sort of relationship if she can stop being herself and be normal. Yeah, maybe. You know, She's two degrees normal. For me, what's yeah. in the story is the second shift. Because once we move to the waiter, they look like a team. That, like, the entire time that we're reading this from the mother's perspective, um, it looks like a sort of cowering mother who just wants her son's affection. And, you know, we're in the position of, oh, God, why is he so terrible? And then as soon as, like, we shift to the waiter, it's like, oh, my God they're just like each other and they're both terrible, right? They, they turn into this. Yeah. And for me, what's really going on in the story is this kind of exploration of what things look like from the inside and the outside. That when we're with one character, we have all this empathy for this terrible conflict she's inside of. And then as soon as we shift to the outside, we see them as a unit. And then we see them as like kind of terrible together in, this, in the way that we previously saw it. It's almost like a fractal of terribleness. It's like the fractal of human suffering. Right, mm-hmm. okay, so that, that's it. When it, The story begins when it shifts to the waiter, because who pays the price for all this? The waiter busting his ass trying to make a living, and now they're holding him hostage. They're saying, you either, you either serve an underage person, put your job at risk, put the restaurant at risk, or we make a scene. These are disgusting people. Yeah. The problem, the problem just is, wants a vodka tonic. The, the problem is, no, but the, listen, these people, this is this is not a really disgusting moment, but this is what, they live on their terms, they're co- totally dysfunctional, and they're going to continue their life having this relationship, but the people who pay the price are, is everybody yeah, around them. Yeah, people around them, yeah. yeah. I uh, need to interject in something very um non-professional or academic i love that waiter scene 
I love it. I love it. I love it. I love every descriptive image in that scene. When she can feel a heat burn inside her, start burning inside her. She's trying to be calm and keep her friendly voice on and all of it. Every bit of that description, I just love. It's so real to me. It's so visceral. I absolutely see that that scene is just great. And I love her rage. Pardon me? She totally misplaces her rage. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But she'd seen him being reprimanded earlier, that waiter. So she knew his job was. I'm visualizing was, nine people I know. <laughs> the like mom, this. Martha. <laughs> this is fantastic. I could guys. play Martha in the film version. Um. <laughs> no, I mean, there, and there are ways to get underage people drinks. You know, there's a way to do the Jedi mind trick by being nice about it. You can serve the drink, but it's not this way. It's not that she wants to drink with her son. It's that she's manipulating him this way. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it just a, a few minutes before, well, maybe not a few minutes, but just a little bit before when she kind of felt a little bad for him? He's getting, you know, humiliated, yelled at in front of all these other um waiters and waitresses and um he's an older guy and she's saying well you don't treat someone older like that and then the next few minutes she's using his vulnerability against him um, yeah for her own gains mm-hmm. so yeah, it's, it really it really does speak to like her, her oh parents. you guys are so hard it, it, this reminds me of a fishing trip if this year. boy's finally willing to f and talk to her she gets him a vodka tonic i i she's desperate she's yeah. not horrible I, I don't have a problem with that i have a problem with her taking it out on the old man. But the old man will get them the damn drink. Threatening him. (laughs) Threatening him with his job. She's somebody weak and she Well, you all know my position on this. You can can Google me and the Washington Post and read my feelings about kids and alcohol. But that's not the issue I have a problem with. It's It's the problem I have is her taking advantage of the old man. This is a really small point. You know how they're at this restaurant where they can see the runway and everything? Yeah. Does that mean it's an airport restaurant? Would one really go there? Like, you know how they said they were regulars? It's a pre-9-11 set. Yeah, you you could do that in the old days. Like, you could actually go to restaurants at the airport, right? Oh. I mean, she, the mom chose that restaurant. She likes the salad bar. Yeah. uh, (laughs) But I was thinking about that. Like, is he leaving somewhere? You know, they keep saying, you know, our last meal. And the the girl he met seems a lot like someone he met on the Internet. She is. She specifically, that's specifically said. Post 9-11 conflict, but pre-9-11 setting. Maybe. It seems a lot like, you know, the overlooking runway. Yeah. That would be a small window. Why? No, I'm just I'm just having like a like a life moment where it's like when the internet was new. Oh yeah. College and we were like the internet, and then like suddenly nine eleven. Oh. oh yeah, it could. That's true. It, it can't be post. It, he it, maybe he is leaving because you know you know how um, we don't really ever find out where they are regionally, but she's she's not, and they're they're gonna go to Vegas to just get married, but she lives somewhere not there. Yeah. Because she probably has catfished him. But he's going to go to uh, wherever, Indiana or something like that. I feel like that's uh, maybe, he, maybe he's at the airport. Store. Yeah. Because if if this is pre-9-11, which it is, 
I don't think it is. <laughs> yeah, because they're at the they're at the airport restaurant. They met on the internet. She the, with the mother and the son. Not in 1999. You could meet on AOL and like go. You know, like that that happened a lot. The, the mother and the son are at the restaurant at the airport, right? Why why can't they be? They don't have to be at the gate. She could walk them so in. Overlooking the runway. Well, there's more than one runway. There's a bazillion runways, right? At a big airport. Those restaurants are tucked off. I don't know if they're... You have to go through the gate to get to them? Yeah. I mean, like, like at JFK, you can't really do much until you're way through security. But I don't know, like, I'm trying to think of other airports that are not in New York. So but, uh, he could drink at the restaurant because he goes through the gate, but she couldn't be there with him unless she was also getting on the plane. Or some plane, right. I don't know. Um, now I'm really super confused because it, when the internet was young, pre-9-11, sure, people were sending email and stuff, but did people start already they did dating and yeah. tindering and, and catfishing? That's when there was a lot, of, a lot of like six-year-old Yeah, for like two years. You think? There was like an STD yeah. outbreak in like the late 90s that was completely yeah. traceable to a single AOL chat room. Absolutely. Oh, wow, Zon. I really... 96, 97 through 2001. I didn't think that that stuff began... a Yahoo personal ad in 1998. And I never met anyone from it because I just couldn't, I couldn't, like, I couldn't follow through with actually meeting someone on the internet. I was like, I can't do that. That's, that's... <laughs> one of my students when I was a high school That's teacher, too weird. Who does that? One of my they students was 18. Person. I don't know if he was 18 or not, but he was uh, a sophomore in high school and he had met a woman in North Carolina. Nobody liked him at the school. This woman seemed to like him a lot and he was going to spend the summer in North Carolina. And I was telling this kid, you might get a picture first. You know, you might, he had no idea. He had had only email conversations. He was already planned to be this summer with her. Right around the 90s. This was just after 9-11, but it was the same type of thing where... It was people are crazy. This, that could be fixed in the story. I mean, remember in, in the in the early in the late nineties, like you, it was it was new that you could actually like have these extended, epistolary, real time conversations with people around. Yeah. And a lot of people were totally seduced by that. And, you know, like really, I mean, now we have all this language of catfishing and, you know, we, we kind of have a different sense of, of what to look out for. But that, that was when you used to say on the internet, no one knows you're a dog. Oh. I mean, we actually meant dogs. Like, I don't remember that phrase. Not like an ugly person, like on the internet, no one knows you're a dog. I wow. feel like some of this type of conversation would be necessary in here. There's a there's a void in the story where it's just not. It's like having a hamburger without any ketchup. Oh come on though, it's not about any of these things that we're chatting about. I know, but there's something it has to it has to have some other counterpoint. I I I like I like the lack of explanation. I like the fact that it takes place in in this sort of like total present. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it's like, it's like Mad Men. Like, they don't stop to explain to you who designed the suit. Right. I don't need too, uh, too much explanation, but if there's some, if there's maybe, if we're not going to get any details about the past, maybe we can get a little bit more about the person he's going off with. Um, you know, or, or something, or even, even more about the waiter. I think the waiter's enough, but so, something else to, to flesh it out. Just, 
a little bit. And of course, I don't know what it is because I'm not. Mm-hmm. It's hard enough writing your own stories. Okay, well, I'm just gonna arm wrestle you because I I don't agree. I don't I don't need more. Uh, the this I really like this well articulated, well described scene. You know, that's yeah. that's what we got. Uh, we see what we see, and that's all we got. And I just think it's really well crafted. You know. Yeah. All the reasons we already talked about, and just so many, so many really great descriptions. Samantha Wallace, by the way, is in Wilmington, Indiana, but yeah. we don't know. But you know, I love how things like that work with words too. The fact that she says she's in Indiana lets you know that they're not. <laughs> like that's all you need to do, right? right? Like there's a cleanness to that, to the lack of exposition here, and and it. I mean, and I think really we should we should give um matthew some kudos for sustaining this for 12 pages yeah. nine pa- I, I, eight I, I, pages only with i mean were you, oh no 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 i'm wrong i wonder if a clear more like 12 could be like you could you could clarify what if it's pre or post 9 11 that that issue of what kind of gate there are with just a couple of sentences letting us know you know Mm-hmm. where they are and just to make sure that that that's an issue that's not going to go away everything else is like aesthetics yeah like it has it after it doesn't have enough mm-hmm. but that issue could be really fixed with that with just you know not an edit just a sentence to let us know right but were you bored ever no no i mean i like yeah, the, the, I voice, the voice all the way through i liked it. i mean yeah. the, the, the positives are real positives things that so if I was reading this in a literary magazine, I would finish reading it. Absolutely. So it wasn't the type of thing where I'm like, how many more pages are I Exactly. I, I was completely, um, I was completely engaged. But, so in my fantasy world, I need more to, there's a void that I would like to fill. <laughs> Unvoided. And I think everybody needs to know if it's pre or post 9-11. <laughs> one, one sentence that oh. has nothing to do with aesthetics. Gee, uh, okay, I disagree with that too, but but we'll see how the voting goes, and we could ask him, Sheree, do you need a date? It doesn't need to be a date. Just no. Well, I mean, know. some placement, like we know that they're not in Indiana. That's all we do know about their location. Whether you're in a gate or not. I love even this setting. I love this transition space of the airport, you know? I, I like that too. It, it works either way. It works. But it, you can't have... I mean, for, since 2001, you cannot have a drink with someone who's not getting on the plane at the gate. Okay, wait a minute. Maybe they're not at the airport and they're at a hotel by the airport where you can still watch the that plane. That sentence would work. Something like that. Just one sentence telling us where they are. Around <laughs> us specifically. Well, we're just making all this assumption that they're at the airport. Oh, maybe there, maybe there are the many way. places where one, aha, it's a plain-looking restaurant just outside the airport. The sentence is there. Okay. Top of page three. Well, because that's what I was asking when I first started this conversation about the fact that the, uh, the dude said there's a lot of regulars, and he was still blown mm-hmm. off and yeah. not wanting to get her the drink. I thought, how could you be a regular at an airport restaurant? But it's a rest just yeah. outside the airport. So Ma- Matthew right now is losing his mind. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's been like, saying, I already gave you that sentence. Pointing to the paper. Where the restaurant is located for the next hour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Sorry, Matthew. I want the line anyway. <laughs> it's I there. Budget. I, want line. I want three lines. That's my rule. Keep describing it. <laughs> what are the prices like? <laughs> micro restaurant review. <laughs> I want to know what kind of headphones. Is this before Beats came out, or is he still wearing Bose? Post Beats. Yeah, you guys. Post Beats. I'm fine. That line's enough. All right. I'm not going to. Uh, it's there. It's there. Yeah. So, um, Marion, an uh, email just came through from Marion. She's stuck in an effing meeting. Uh, Spelled E-F-F-I-N-G. At, at least she's somewhere productive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's doing good work wherever she is, I'm quite sure. Um, are we ready to vote? Yes. I think so. I think so, too. Three, are, are you ready to vote? I'm ready. Okay. Joe, guess what? Oh, no, Joe didn't really. Okay, all right, let's go. One, two, three, vote. Oh, it's unanimous. <laughs> I got scared right at the end there because I usually do think about how many we're going to be. And I was going to say, Joe, you have to vote. And then I thought, well, I guess we'll just see if we end up, you know, um, at a crossroads. But we uh, it's unanimously end. Thank you, Matthew. I'll be like, um, I'll be like, uh, a good version of Mike Pence. I'll cast the deciding vote. Good version. Yeah, so wow, thank you. And I really do apologize to Matthew for not placing the date for having that whole tangent there, but um, just focus on how much we praise your craft and, and elegance of this piece. Well, I, I'm going to say, I think that actually, like my, my workshop experience has generally been when you end up you know, having, when you went, when you go down some rabbit hole and you're talking for like the next 20 minutes about like whether the person was wearing a particular designer dress or, you know, like where is the airport in relationship to the restaurant? It's usually a sign that the story is doing something really great and you've kind of run out of things to talk about, or there's something really terrible that everyone's trying to avoid. And so yeah. I think it was yeah. on that. I still feel a void, but I don't think, I, I mean, it's, that's what my, if everyone else likes the story, and there were a lot of the, the pluses outweighed the negatives. Yeah, it's so. um. I mean, dare I say it's like Raymond Carver esque? Yeah, I I, I want to say that. You dare? I dare. I dared. I did it. I said it. There, I said it. Um, I, you know, because I was thinking about how visual this is and how much I was watching it play out like a film. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, could it sustain a whole movie? Like we were talking about one of Tim Fitz's stories last night at the PBQ editorial meeting. Several of his short, short stories in his latest collection. What's it called, Tim? Hypothermia. Hypothermia. And what press is that from? Mad Hat Press. Mad Hat Press. Is that available on Amazon? It is available. It is available on Amazon. Amazon. Mad Hat or Press. Mad Hat Press. Yeah, Mad his Hat collection Press. of short stories, many of the short stories could be developed into films um, for any, any producers who are out there listening to us. Um, and this one, I was thinking about whether or not it could be a whole movie, and we would have to have the flashbacks, you know, or it'd have to be merged, like that, that wonderful uh, Shortcuts. Remember that film, yeah. Shortcuts? I read the book. I didn't see the movie. Was the movie good? Oh, Jason, you really got to dig that up. What what what? Um, Robert Altman made that film, and what he did that was just brilliant is um, the short stories were not connected. The same actors weren't 
I mean, the same characters didn't reappear in different stories, but Altman found a way to connect people. You might just walk past a storefront and now you go inside the store and you're in the next story. Right. You know, really lovely, uh, the connections. Um, so, so maybe Matthew Perini has other pieces that he could string together and, and make a film out someday. I hope so. And I hope he'll remember us fondly. Um, anybody have anything else to say about anything other than no politics, no politic talk? We never know when we're dropping them. The world could change again. If only. There you go. Yeah. No, we're good. Okay. So listeners, please join our social media platforms. We are on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Go to our website, pbqmag.org. And probably most importantly, share this podcast with your friends. Use the hashtag tripod, T-R-Y pod. Um, and um, write us. Write us. We'd like to hear from you. But most importantly, keep reading. Thank you. Woo!